Welcome to Coffee with the College, a podcast brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives, Wisconsin chapter. Our goal is for listeners to find this podcast as relaxing as coffee with friends and just as comfortable as our guests and observers banter about questions that are on all of our minds. I'm your host, Janet Schultz. I'm Chief Information Officer at a human services company called MyPath. Our observers today are Kim Stapelfeld, Senior Director Administrator, Hospital-Based Specialties for Advocate Health, and Jessica Vogan, Director of Business Operations at Medics. Today, our focus is on one of the fastest evolving topics in the news, artificial intelligence. We'll be talking about what it is and its impacts with a particular focus on its use in healthcare. Our guest for this topic is Ilan Kazi. Ilan is the Chief Data Officer for Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Dakota, where he leads the Enterprise Data and Analytics Solutions Team. Welcome, Ilan. Thank you, Janet. Great to be here. Uh, Jess and Kimberly, if you could just chime in for a minute so our our listeners can get to know your voices. Hi, Janet. This is Jessica Vogan. Nice to be here. Hi, Janet. This is Kim Stapelfeld, Senior Director Administrator at Advocate Health. So glad to be here and excited to learn more from Ilan. Awesome. So with that, Ilan, um, to get us started, could you tell us a bit about your career path, um, your experience with AI, and your current role at BCBS of North Dakota? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so I, I actually started my path, um, I almost took a detour into healthcare administration. Um, so I got my master's of healthcare administration at the University of Minnesota. And towards the end of grad school, uh, I was doing some consulting work and I really enjoyed that. And so for a few years after grad school, uh, I did both healthcare EMR consulting, uh, as well as revenue cycle management consulting. So that was really my my first foray into data and analytics and just the, the complex world of healthcare data. Uh, from there, I worked at uh, Target's healthcare division for a few years up in Minneapolis. So a heavy focus on payer analytics, uh, some work around retail analytics, and getting into more what I'd say are like advanced analytic techniques um, in my time there. And then I really got more into data science and AI uh, in my work at United Health Group. Um, so I built out teams in the US as well as uh, data science teams in Europe with a heavy focus on using machine learning, using AI to predict healthcare outcomes for Medicare members and really aligning different business and clinical programs to improve their health outcomes. Um, and then from there, I took on my first chief data officer role at Children's Mercy down in Kansas City. Uh, so really creating their data strategy, their long-term plan, and restructuring and aligning the team um, towards using data more effectively. And most recently, um, I started my position up here at Blue Cross Blue Shield in North Dakota uh, just over a year ago, last September. Um, so brand new role to the organization, and the, the organization is really focused on uh, evolving their data, how they use data, and has also made data their number one priority. So it's a great environment to be in, uh, a lot of support, a lot of excitement. And, you know, over the past year, we've been able to make some pretty big strides in terms of our data evolution. Alon, that was a great flyover. And as I listened to you, my goodness, there are so many threads we could pull from your career and have separate podcasts on um, 
big data and how it can actually make a difference and improve health. But that's not our focus today. It's artificial intelligence. I'm sure you'll nibble around the edges of that um, connection to data analytics. But can you start us off on the topic of artificial intelligence by giving us a bit of a primer on AI? Yeah, you know, if if you were to look online or even ask different people in the industry, you'll probably get varying definitions of what artificial intelligence is. I kind of think about it very simply in that it, it's almost um, simulating human intelligence, but using machines, using algorithms to do that. Um, so everything from problem solving, pattern recognition, even things like decision making. And it really differs from more of your traditional programming where you basically give instructions to, to a machine. Um, the beauty of AI is that it can utilize data um, to make different types of, of useful predictions. And it, you know, underlying all of that is obviously math and, and some pretty heavy statistics. Um, I think as, as AI has continued to progress, it was, you know, pretty much up until recently behind the scenes. So AI is in our, our iPhones. It's, you know, it's being used when we make Amazon purchases, but you don't really, you don't really see behind the curtain. I think with more of the generative AI solutions like ChatGPT and Bard, that has really gotten it into the hands of the consumer to experiment and play around with it. There are so many ways that you can use AI, and that is fascinating. I'm really excited to dig into this next one. Um, and I'm, my question is, what do you feel are some of the best use cases for AI? Yeah, so, you know, contrary to popular opinion and AI being the greatest thing since sliced bread, I've actually found that some of the best use cases are really the boring ones. Um, you know, the, the things that we do kind of day in and day out, they may take five minutes here, an hour there. Um, but those are the ones that you can really apply AI to. And so, for instance, in, in healthcare, you know, when we think about things like scheduling, registration, um, doctor's notes, you know, some of the more administrative type tasks that can be very just labor intensive, time intensive, um, AI does really well in those types of spaces because there's, there's a, a wealth of data you, know, you can use predictions to um, really optimize those processes and you can free up your time to focus on more of the high value work. Um, so I would say that's where many organizations start. I think from there, you know, really the, the sky's the limit. Um, I'm most excited about its application and more of the clinical and even some of the diagnostic space um, of healthcare, not necessarily, you know, replacing doctors or, or, or nurses, but really being yet another tool um, that can almost be like a co-pilot to them. And I think that there are things that AI can pick up on that, you know, no human would ever be able to do. And so I really see kind of that human in the loop model where we, we have a partner with AI and, you know, doctors can use their clinical judgment. They can use some of the AI judgment together, but still make those final decisions around treatment and, and courses of action. Elon, you kind of touched on the uh, healthcare specifically and how AI can be applied. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about the diagnostics and and how that's improving opportunities. You know, having them as a co-pilot, as you said, how do you reassure physicians or clinicians about using AI diagnostically and having them trust what's being produced? 
I think the the biggest thing that I found that has actually been the most effective is uh, pairing physicians, other clinicians with data professionals. I think in in many cases, you know, where the disconnect can occur is those teams sometimes don't ever meet directly. They always have some type of, you know, middle team or middle person um, that is, you know, kind of, they're, they're really playing that, that, that communication person in between. Um, I think when physicians start to use it, they have a lot of questions as they, as they should rightfully so. And I think having a data professional there, whether it's a, you know, a data scientist or somebody who's leading a data team, um, is very important. I think developing that relationship with your clinicians, and then at the same time, really dispelling all of the myths that are out there about AI, about, you know, how it's going to take over the world and it's going to replace all of us. Um, you know, it's, it's newsflash. It's not, um, but I think dispelling that is is very helpful. And then I think as you as you dive deeper, um, there are going to be times where where an AI doesn't doesn't make the right decision or where it generalizes um, incorrectly. And I think that's that's important to have those conversations with physicians. I think when people make mistakes, there's a lot more patience with it. But there's almost an unrealistic expectation that a machine should be right 100% of the time. And that that never is really going to be possible, um, given how many extrapolations you know the the underlying technology is making. So, Alan, have you had the opportunity to be that at the elbow, direct with the clinician um, communicator? I have, yeah, I've I've had that that privilege both in my professional life and uh, in my personal life as well. So my my father, um, he was a family practitioner for uh, over thirty five years, and I think just you know growing up, I kind of got that that side of healthcare, and I think that has made it easier for me to speak to clinicians and speak in a very common language. I think that's very important. You know, when I when I think of going to the doctor. If a doctor starts using, you know, Latin terminology or medical speak, my eyes kind of glaze over. The same thing happens to clinicians. If, if you know, you're you're talking too technical or or too much around different data terms, it's really important to speak that common language and then also show what are the benefits, how is it going to help them, and you know, ideally at the end of the day, how is it going to improve the health of the patient. So, what are one of the two? most frequently asked questions then when you've been at a clinician's elbow that you hear and how do you respond to those? Sure. Um, you know, I, I'd say the first one is usually something, something around fear. Um, so just that initial fear or even hesitance of, okay, why, why should I use this and how do I know it's not going to lead to harm? I think that's usually one of the most common ones that, you know, at the end of the day, when we think about innovation, especially in the clinical space, um, there are barriers to innovation and rightly so, because if you start trying things and you don't do it safely, um, it can put patient care at risk. So I think there's always, especially from a clinician mindset, there is always, you know, do no harm and really being focused on that. Um, and then I, I think really the, the second question um, that I get is more around like, how does this stuff even work? Um, I think it's, I, I always get kind of a kick out of it when I've met with physicians because, you know, many of them are, have their subspecialties. They've gone to school with, you know, it seems like forever, a ton of training, but then they see, you know, they see an AI algorithm working and to them, it's almost like magic. Right. But for me, it's just kind of, you know, part and parcel of, of the work that I do. 
And so that's always fun to just kind of show, you know, if they have that interest, kind of going under the hood and talking a little bit more about it. Um, I find that, you know, many of the best clinicians that I've worked with, they're always like internally curious, not just in medicine, but in other, other disciplines. And I think it's really led to better relationships and more of that shared understanding. So Alon, you've already alluded to a couple of cautions in terms of using AI. What others would you add that you haven't spoken to already? Yeah, you know, one that's not really um, talked about enough in the industry, like we hear a lot about responsible AI, using it ethically, obviously very important. Um, but I, I think the underlying data that go that is being used by the AI is actually one of those foundational components. And if you have, if you're using data that has uh, an inherent bias in it, all AI is going to do is amplify that bias. And so I think in the organizations that I've seen that are really using AI effectively, they've actually had to go back and kind of recalibrate their sources of data. They've had to improve their data quality. That becomes very important because once you do that, you're going to have higher quality algorithms. You're going to have better predictions. It really stems from that, from that data itself. Um, I think it also shows, you know, even things around generative AI using ChatGPT, um, it used a lot of, of data on the internet as, a, as, a, as its training source. And, you know, obviously the, the data on the internet is very biased in certain cases. And I think that just, that comes out in some of the results that you see periodically. So I think just ensuring that you're not just letting the AI make the decisions, but that it's more of informing a human decision maker. Do you think that AI will be helpful to clinicians when it comes to um, interfaces with the EMR or other types of uh, functionality that they have today? I think that it could be. Uh, I think it, it kind of it depends on the use cases as well as the integration of the technology. Um, you know, if I think five to 10 years ahead, you would have an EMR that is very seamless, that can just pick up on voice recordings, that can you know uh, extrapolate from images. That's really kind of taken away a lot of the administrative work that clinicians um, have to focus on. I think the other way that it will it will change the way that clinicians work. I do think that in some specialties, you probably won't need as many um, clinicians just based on the technology. And so, radiology is probably the best example. That seems to be a space where AI in particular is really taking off quickly um, and, you know, not necessarily in a bad way, but using technology as an, as an extension, uh, I think is a good thing. And just as, you know, once again, having that, that co-pilot to, to help with diagnoses. Do you see this as an opportunity for medical schools to incorporate this as part of their curriculum? Or have you had any opportunity to share this learning with others in that space? I have from more of a research standpoint, um, I think much of the research that's being done from a medical side, it's really starting to incorporate different types of, of AI techniques. Um, so every, everything from drug discovery to um, different research studies, I, I see that more and more. Um, I, don't, I don't know how much that's being integrated within medical schools. I think, you know, right now, and this is probably from a few years ago, um, there, there's more, there's a little more emphasis on technology using EMRs, you know, having that experience. I don't know if AI has made it there yet, but I would, I would expect it to within the next five or so years. 
On behalf of Coffee with the College, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to our premier sponsors, Epstein Ewan Architects, HGA, Hush Blackwell, and thank you as well to our preferred sponsors, C.G. Schmidt, Findorf, Paul Render, Nutanix, Plunkett Research Architects, and Quarles and Brady. Ilan, one of the things in my CIO role is I'm chairing our AI workgroup at our company, you know, like developing policies for responsible use, all that kind of thing. So one of the things that I would be curious about in terms of another caution and that whole, what is the foundation of the AI knowledge is as it relates to healthcare, how do we be mindful of some of the health inequities that might be perpetuated via AI in terms of how data is analyzed if we're not careful? Uh, you know, when it comes to when it comes to health, health inequities, I think AI can be used, but it has to be done in a in a more responsible way. So for instance, you know, we know, and I know this just from personal experience, if you're looking at, let's say, demographic data, specifically race, that's not very accurate data overall when it comes to healthcare data. In many cases, it is either incorrect or just incomplete. And so what that does is if you're, you know, if you're using a data set and there's a lot of incomplete race data, it can only extrapolate on what it has. And that's where you may find some level of bias within it. Um, I think to you know, kind of remediate that, there are different techniques that you can use from a data science standpoint um, to make that more accurate and to really inform. But I think it's really just starting with the awareness and even historically how the data um, has been collected. And I think I, I've seen this a lot from my pharmaceutical standpoint. Many of the pharmaceutical studies the cohorts that they use aren't necessarily a good representative sample of the population. And I think they're starting to, you know, try to incorporate that and improve it more and more because they're, they're realizing that. So I would say just really starting with awareness and understanding that the results may help to inform, but they may not necessarily help you make a decision, at least at first. And how do you use AI in your daily work, Elon? Sure. So you know, for for both from a professional, personal side, once ChatGPT came out, um, I was very, very heads down in it. And I think it was just my my background with AI. Um, but I've really, I've really used that type of solution for everything from generating ideas to helping helping generate content, write content. Um, I I've used it for things as, you know, as novel as like writing children's stories for for my kids. Um, so it's kind of, you know, sky's the limit in terms of your imagination and, and how you use it, but I, I really do use it as, as my co-pilot and it saves me at least a few hours every day. Um, I think I, I'd like to use it even more, but obviously with healthcare information, healthcare data, you know, with protected health information, none of that can go into it, especially not in a, in an open source solution. And so it's, it's also being mindful of, you have to have the right guardrails um, in place to use it as well. Um, but that's been that has been probably one of the biggest ways that I've used it. I've also experimented with you know Midjourney, some of these others, but I'm a pretty big ChatGPT proponent. So I know ChatGPT. There's 3.5, which it's my understanding its learning goes up through September of 2021. 
And I know I've kind of personally tested it by asking it something after that date, and it's not necessarily going to get it right. So that goes back to your point about understanding how the AI has garnered its learning. Uh, What what version of ChatGPT do you typically use? Uh, I use I use the 4.0 version. Mm-hmm. So I I use the I think it's called the plus version. Um, you have to pay a, a fee each month to use it. Um, it uses uh, exponentially more parameters, but the data itself is still through uh, September 2021. So there still is that that limitation around it. From your perspective, what industry is leveraging AI to its full benefit? I I would have to say. It's probably a toss-up between the technology industry and the retail industry. Um, And I I think retail, especially like when you think of the Amazons of the world, they've been using AI for years, even before generative AI and using it very effectively, Um, you know, to the point that it can predict what I'm going to buy even probably before I buy it. Um, I think where, I think with healthcare, healthcare is, you know, just generally behind for a variety of different reasons. Um, healthcare is a much more heavily regulated industry. And so, you know, a a wrong, a wrong prediction in the retail world may cause you to, or may cause the recommendation system to, you know, give you an item that you would never buy big deal. But in a healthcare world, if that's influencing, you know, um, clinician decision-making or even diagnostics, that could potentially lead to patient harm. So I think there's always the regulatory component that doesn't allow that level of innovation. I do think though, that even in light of that, um, healthcare is gonna be one of those industries that probably benefits the most because of the amount of data that's being created. The fact that healthcare doesn't just happen anymore in a hospital or a clinic setting. And the fact that you know many of us have different, different types of wearables, whether it's a, an Apple watch, a, an Amazon one, you know, an iPhone, a, a cell phone here or there. So there's a lot more data coming from wearable devices too that will help. So in that context of that data, Elon, you mentioned before um, PHI. What is the current state, do you think, of PHI cautions as it relates to AI and healthcare? And where will that go? go so that we can harness the power of AI without compromising the protections? What does that journey look like? Sure. I, I think with with just more of the kind of traditional AI, I think there are the right safeguards in place in using PHI, PII, you know, even things like proprietary information. I think with generative AI that's still being created. And so there are there are some you know, when we talk about the large language models that really underpin a chat GPT or even a, a Google Bard, um, there are companies that are already going about that are already HIPAA certified, you know, potentially high trust certified. I think that helps give more credibility to them. I think the other piece that's that's very front and center is also how the data is is shared. And so with with many of the new solutions in order to use PHI, you're going to want that. You're not going to want the data shared. And you're, you're going to want to be able to control it internally to your organization. Having that full control is a, is a huge safeguard that that's going to, I think, elicit more innovation. And so I, I think I've already seen it with a few vendors. Um, I'm sure as, as it continues to evolve, you'll see more of that model where um, even if you're using it for healthcare, 
it may be trained on a ton of external data, but as you integrate your own data with it, all of that will stay in-house just so that you have that, that appropriate se- separation and safeguard. That's the kind of insight I was hoping you'd go to, Alon, so that it helps our listeners know as they're vetting opportunities to use AI in their organization, what's the nature of questions that should be asked about kind of that separation of external data wealth with internal proprietary information. So thank you for that. Anything else a healthcare leader should know on that angle? I think just with AI in general, um, you know, like every other new te- newer technology, um, there can be a lot of fear around it. And I, I think it maybe it's just in our, our human nature to kind of fear something new. But I would really encourage any any healthcare leader to just dive into it because this is going to be um, just an, an amazing uh, change for every type of industry and. You know, there are a lot of ways that AI can can help the overall healthcare industry and at the end of the day, help help the patient in terms of their health. Alan, I'm curious about a phrase you used in this uh, in our discussion. You talked about a human in the loop model. Can you say some more about what you meant by that? And does it fit specifically in healthcare in terms of adoption of AI? Yeah, I, I would say that it does. And so when we think about when we think about human in the loop, this is really a way to you probably use AI most effectively. Uh, so it's not just the AI algorithm, you know, making a decision and and taking the action. Uh, it's really doing that in assistance with um, you know somebody that has the boots on the ground, right? So a good example of that would be if an algorithm makes a recommendation, let's say about um, different treatment options for a patient. You're not just going to let the algorithm make that decision and you know not include a, a doctor or a nurse as a part of that conversation. Um, I think using human in the loop, the doctor would be informed by the algorithm, but at the end of the day, would make that final decision with the information from the algorithm and, and with their own experience and, and clinical judgment. And I, I really see this as a way to more effectively use AI in more of that that partnership capacity versus having it having it replace all the decision making. Uh, I think also with the human in the loop method, um, you're really controlling for things like ethics and, and using AI responsibly because you still have a person that is a part of that decision making and, and usage of the AI. Um, you know, one of one of the areas that I was thinking about was, you know, as you talked about um, moving to adoption of AI in healthcare specifically, there, uh, you know, healthcare has seen a lot of evolution over the course of time. You know, from, you know, from the use of an electronic medical record to use of high-powered equipment, you know, in diagnostic imaging as well as in in surgery. You know, what I hear, what I've heard over the course of my almost twenty years in healthcare is that um, we're moving to cookbook medicine and that it's not allowing for innovation beyond that. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, does AI help push that limit a little bit more faster so that we may evolve? Or do you think that there's going to be, you know, a lot of caution along the way as healthcare adapts AI in this um, in this environment today? 
That's a great question. I, I think in an ideal state, you know, where I've seen where I've seen AI, especially from the medical field, the healthcare industry, uh, where it's used most effectively is on on specific problems that have just a lot of different data, a lot of complexity to them, and across larger populations. That's really where where AI has has its uh, strong suit. I think where um, doctors, clinicians, others that are involved in direct patient care have their strong suit is around things like empathy, bedside manner, um, you know, even things like using using some some intuition from experience. I don't know how much that's actually talked about, but I think I you know I think back to my dad who in certain cases, after he'd practiced for so long, the tests were telling him one thing, but he knew intuitively that he should seek a certain course of action for a patient. No AI is going to ever have that, that type of intuition. And I think in, a, in an ideal state, you'll have physicians, other clinicians focusing on what, what humans do best. And then you'll have the AI focusing on what AI and, and machine learning does best. I, I really see that as more of a, a symbiotic relationship. And I think it also gets away from, you know, more of the cookbook or the cookie cutter medicine where clinicians can actually focus on the extremely rare, complex cases that AI is just never going to be good at. That was a great question, Kim. And I guess what comes to mind for me is Part of that intuition also is um, understanding what motivates the patient and what is the patient's why, um, which has an incredible impact on adoption by the patient of the recommended course of treatment and partnership with the patient on that course of treatment. And that's not something an AI algorithm would necessarily have insight into either. Well, even from a marketing perspective, you know, does a healthcare system leverage that as part of their, you know, eventual pull for patients? Tell me more what you mean about that, Kim. Well, do you, does the adoption of technology such as, as AI, does the, does healthcare use this as a means to create some level of uh, expertise in that space or also comfort to a patient knowing that uh, AI is supporting patient care um, when they enter a facility, whether it be a clinic or a hospital or at home. So I, I know where you're headed with that, Kim. The, the community of broad information with the comfort of individual care or something. Correct. Right? Yeah. Correct. What would you add as a, a parting insight to our guests? I, I would reiterate your your last point around experimentation. Um, I, I think you know, particularly for individuals that may have never used it or have used it a handful of times, there's almost the thought that if they do something wrong, they're going to break something, and that's pretty much never the case because you're in a pretty safe environment. Um, so just you know, experiment with it in your in your professional life. Experiment with it in your personal life. I think. You know, having a skill set, being able to utilize AI is actually going to become just a very common skill set amongst every every professional, given how easy it is to to use these tools. I think from a community adoption perspective, I mean, you hit on the you know the experimentation, but how do you how does the how does the patient trust that you know that um, that technology? You know, how do you make sure there's a opportunity to create 
synergies between both. And, you know, the, I think that's something that we're going to have to watch in healthcare, especially um, so that people aren't, you know, that trust our ability to make sure that we're using it right. You know, I think that's something that as something that we're going to have to learn. And, you know, I, I listened to a, a session, a, a, a something on 60 minutes a, a few weeks back about how AI is taking on the world. And you mentioned this early on in your, um, your conversation, but you know, the fear factor about what AI is going to do and, and that it's going to take over the world and, and wipe out workforce and, and all of this. I think there's, you know, the, there's some level of concern that I think people come into play when you, when you hear AI also. So how do you alleviate those concerns? Yeah, there, there, I, there is going to be that element. Like there will be some job replacement. I think the jury's out on where exactly that will be. At the same time, though, there's going to be job creation. So, you know, with every other um, exponential technology, it's gone through that cycle where it's created just some jobs that nobody would have thought of even a few years ago. Um, I think from a, like a, a confidence standpoint and just reassuring the patient, I actually think that patients are going to come to expect some level of AI influencing any type of clinical decision-making. And if, if they're not seeing that as the healthcare consumer, they're going to push for it. Um, so, you know, when we think about things like, let's just take medical errors, for instance, that occur in, in healthcare institutions, you know, at, at last count, it was a few hundred thousand a year, um, medical errors that lead to, to death. Um, you can't tell me that integrating AI into, you know, somewhere in, into that process wouldn't actually improve upon that. And so I, I think, you know, using some of the areas within healthcare that are frankly just challenging from a time or resources standpoint, I think focusing there first from an AI standpoint would help bring about that benefit and also improve that, that confidence in its use. Well, tell me if I'm connecting the dots, right, Elon, but like for several years now, when I go in for my annual mammogram, you have the option of paying for um, computer-assisted diagnostics. And Mm -hmm. for a while there, you know, like you had to sign something that if your insurance wouldn't cover it, that you still wanted to pay the extra money for that. And I don't even know that that is even asked anymore. I think it's just built in. I'm not sure about that. But I have to assume that that, that was some early AI at work uh, in the radiology field. Yeah. And I, I think too with um, you know, in, in many cases with these newer technologies, it can take a little bit more time to have the right payment structures in place and just the right studies around it. Because in some cases, in some cases it will reduce things like total cost of care, it will improve healthcare outcomes. Um, I think once you see more studies around that, then I think from a, a payment standpoint, you know, no, no healthcare payer wouldn't cover it if it's going to help reduce costs and improve quality. Well, those are all the kinds of questions that lie ahead of us. So with that, um, listeners, I'm going to wrap up our conversation today. Um, as usual, want to say a few closing comments, and then extend some appreciation to our guests. So thank you, Alan, for um, for the insights you shared. I'm confident that some of the tips that you shared will be helpful to healthcare leaders as they are approached with decisions about AI in their own settings. 
Um, just wanted to highlight a few of the things that I jotted down. So um, we all need to remember that some of the best use cases of AI today are some of the boring things, and we should be we're we're doing ourselves a disservice if we don't think about how to maybe make our own lives and the lives of our teams easier on some of those administrative type tasks, uh, and we should be running toward those efficiencies uh, for the sake of our organizations. Um, we all need to make sure we're staying up to date on what is the data set that the artificial intelligence learning is based upon so that we know what its strengths and what its vulnerabilities might be. We should be, if we're not doing it already, pairing physicians with data professionals uh, to provide insight and reassurance as we talk about how to use AI in our settings. And we should simply start experimenting with, um, with this new technology tool. Well, thank you, Jess and Kim, for being our observers today. And thank you, Alan, for taking time out of your day um, for our listeners and for the American College of Healthcare Executives Wisconsin chapter. Yeah, great to be here. And thank you for having me. This podcast is copyrighted material of the American College of Healthcare Executives Wisconsin chapter 2023.